and delight to come and be with you this morning and as you await your new pastor coming, the, the opportunities to come and do this are getting slimmer and slimmer, so I'm glad I was able to um, respond to the request. So thank you for sending that over to me. Now, I'm really glad that we read those passages together. Um, we were speaking before worship that sometimes we don't know what's gonna happen when we get into these places, but God knows what we need. And as I've been working with this, I've been feeling like I really want them to feel it. And sometimes I find when I'm listening to a sermon, it just sort of washes over. And then I find myself, you know, doing my grocery list. And, you know, I, I, it's, not, it's not nice, but it's true. So I'm really glad that you got to get in there and say those words. And I'd like you to try to keep them in your mind as we go through um, this morning as we unpack a question. I'm just going to turn this. Pass responsibility. It's <laughs> great, excellent. So we're going to be thinking about this question. Was Jesus serious about offering hospitality? And I hope that the really obvious answer is, uh, yeah, yep, he really was. And so what I've done as I've sat and thought about this, I've actually been thinking about this the whole time I was on holiday. So it got a bit hairy. It got really huge. So trust me when I say this is pared down. <laughs> but... We've, we've, listened, we've read those passages together. We've heard someone sitting next to us saying the words. And we're going to look at some other passages that support that, yes, he really was serious. And some passages that sometimes we take in different directions. I don't think I've ever, well, I know I've never preached on hospitality. So this, this was interesting to come to passages that have traditionally had a theme that... Um, it supports. Um, so hopefully you'll, you'll see what I saw as I pondered scripture. So I would like to, in our tradition, it's um, we the minister prays before they preach. So I hope you don't mind if, if I just go off how I normally would preach. So let's pray together. Loving Father, as we have gathered to worship you this day, draw near and breathe on us your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your voice in the pages of Scripture, and your word might inspire us to live in peace as Christ has commanded. Amen. So when I emigrated to the United States 11 years ago, my family and I were given a house that was tied to my husband's employment. Apart from assigning bedrooms to the children, there was nothing more to be done to set up the household, as our belongings, still in storage in New York, would not be arriving for several months. We had had no choice in where we would make our home, and for a long time, living there felt like being a long-term lodger. And it was that sense of unbelonging that delayed my exploration of the property for several weeks. At last, I began to feel more at home, 
and, in, and I started to sort of explore my surroundings, opening cupboards and poking around in garden sheds. In my nosing around, I discovered piles of grubby tools, stacks of moldering books, and a cellar of homemade wine that was well on its way to becoming vinegar. Perhaps the strangest find was the outdoor toilet that lies between the garage and one of our two front doors. It's an odd property, to say the very least. Now, I come from very humble roots, and I'm quite familiar with the outhouse, but this facility is a step up from the outhouse. This facility has running water and electricity. It's pretty interesting. It also sits and faces a very, very busy road in Kings Norton. So the whole thing was just a bit suspect, I think, is the word. So later that evening when my husband got home from work, I said to him, so I've been having a little bit of a rummage and I found something rather strange and I hope maybe you can help me understand what's going on. I said, there's a toilet next to the front door. And he says, oh, you found the outdoor loo. Apparently, so why is there a why is there a toilet next to the front door? He says, "Well, you know how um, when we go out and um, we're rambling and we go for walks in the woods and things, um, you know, anybody can walk anywhere in this country, which is very contrary to the United States. There are lots of no trespassing signs um, where I'm from." He says, "Well, you know, anyone." can come and walk through our garden, and the toilet is there for them to relieve themselves. I, I think my face said it all. I, I just, I stammered, what? What, how is that possible? He said, well, you know, it's, it's hospitality. I was like, but, it, he said, well, they can, they, can, they can camp in our front garden as well. So what? That's, that's absurd. And then that little, that little twinkle in his eye, that sly little grin started to spread across his face. He really had got me going. He likes to tell this story when our American friends come to visit. And for the most part, I do laugh. I do feel fairly silly, but I laugh. And as I thought about that amusing little story, as I thought about this morning's passage, I wondered about my reaction to that. I mean, it was an outlandish tale, to be fair. But why did I immediately put up my defenses? Why was I not interested in people pitching a tent on my garden? Why wasn't I ready to welcome them with open arms? And how does that pair up with what Jesus tells us in Scripture, to always be ready to welcome. So there's a bit to unpack in that. So this morning, I want to dig into a number of passages that demonstrate the importance of hospitality in Scripture and how offering and receiving hospitality reflects our growth in Jesus. 
So let's have a look at this slide. You'll be familiar, I'm sure, with um, thought bubbles. Um, and right in the middle of the screen is the word hospitality. And this comes from a catering company here in the United Kingdom. I want you to note the variety of terms folks who were polled for this graphic associate with hospitality. The words that jumped out at me straight away when I first looked at it were personal, welcome, and valued. And I looked even closer at the words in smaller type, and I noticed that some of the words chime with the ethos of hospitality as we encounter it in scripture. Words like protection, expected, and care. In the ancient world, giving hospitality to travelers was embedded in the culture. In Judaism, seeking hospitality towards guests is considered a commandment or an obligation. And when one knows of strangers who are hungry and need a place to relax, it becomes a legal obligation to offer care. Some rabbis consider this act of hospitality, um, literally from in the Hebrew translated as bringing in of strangers, to be part of the giving of loving kindness. It's not hard to see that, but it is harder to pronounce the Hebrew. So if somebody here can give me some lessons, I would appreciate that because I think there's a lot to um, glean from that language. In ancient cultures of the Old Testament, the city gates and the communal well were places where travelers could expect to receive hospitality. Bread and water was the minimum fare expected, but often there was much more offered. Feet were washed to remove the dust from travel, and sometimes one's head was anointed with oil. Food was provided for their animals. A brilliant example of this embedded culture of hospitality is found in the story of Abraham and the three strangers in the book of Exodus. In that story, eight, um, in Genesis 18, three travelers arrive at Abraham and Sarah's encampment. Abraham, we are told, runs to greet the strangers, welcoming them by bowing low to the ground. Without asking for their names and where they have traveled from, or even inquiring about their business. Abraham insists that the men make their camp within his territory for the night. A feast of bread made from the finest wheat and a young calf roasted in a bath of yogurt and milk is prepared without hesitation. Can you imagine? Of course, cultures evolve and change over centuries, yet later in the New Testament, we witness Jesus following the same ancient practices of hospitality that he would have learned in his home and his religious community. Added to the traditional provisions of food and shelter, water for bathing, oil for anointing, fodder for the animals, came the welcoming kiss, that Greek and Roman practice of reclining at the table to dine as well. Yeah, I'll take a look at this word. Philoxenia is the word for hospitality in Greek. So in Jesus' time, this is what they would have been thinking about. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, 
That is in direct contradiction with the word we normally talk about, xenophobia, fear of strangers. Philoxenia, caring, loving kindness, hospitality as Jesus had known it. I often worry if my house is nice enough, tidy enough, or convenient enough to offer an invitation to friends and acquaintances. Certainly, we have enough toilets. Perhaps you um, can resonate with my concerns. <clears throat> but Jesus' example should put all that worry to rest. In John's Gospel, we read that the newly called disciples ask Jesus where he is staying. We know nothing of Jesus' physical dwellings, as the Gospel writers exclude that sort of information in their writings. So perhaps Jesus was making a home in short-term lodging, or maybe he was a guest in a family home. We don't really know. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. For Jesus, offering hospitality didn't rely on his home being extravagant or opulent. This attitude freed Jesus to respond without hesitation. He invites the men into the most intimate part of his life, the place where he ate, slept, rested, and prayed. In a familiar passage from the Gospel of Mark, we find parents bringing their children to Jesus for hospitality in the form of a blessing. It may seem a strange thing to us that in this instance, the disciples tried to shoo away the families. But in the ancient world, and especially in Roman-influenced areas, children were seen not as beloved members of the family, but in many instances as possessions to be bought and sold. Even more troubling, as children in Roman society were not believed to possess souls, even the murder of unwanted infants was common in an era when reliable contraception was not available. Jesus' acceptance of these young children exemplified the importance of all life to God. And isn't that what we hope to convey with hospitality? We read from Matthew chapter 14, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. I like to add the plus. <laughs> there were women and children there too. We count. <laughs> that followed on from the brutal um, murder of John the Baptist. John, uh, Jesus went away, but he found the crowds were following him anyway. And even through his, his sorrow and bereavement, he overflowed with hospitality. It's another example of not needing lots of props, lots of places to be. He required no buildings, no fancy tablecloths, no crockery. In his hands, meager food became a feast that filled hungry bellies to those present and leaving enough food to share further afield. I have to ask myself, truthfully, how many hungry bellies I could fill if I viewed my pantry as the place of abundance that it is, rather than lacking 
impressive foods. There are so many illustrations of Jesus offering generous hospitality. I hope that maybe after the service we can have a little conversation amongst ourselves of the stories that are popping into your mind. I'm sure there must be some. For now, though, let's turn and look at some passages that give us a model of Christ-like acceptance of hospitality. I think we're really good in many ways at giving hospitality, but it's a bit more complicated when we have to accept hospitality. One thing that I want to um, just preface this with is that as I was reading these, I discovered that the acceptance of hospitality meant in Jesus' time and in his life, stereotypes, boundaries, they started to fall. So in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus was the guest in the house of a Pharisee called Simon. In that instance, the hapless host neglects the foundational principles of hospitality, leading Jesus to to contrast his inattention with the outpouring of love and care for an unnamed woman who had been quietly lavishing attention on the Lord. Jesus points out to Simon that he hadn't offered him a basin of water to wash his feet, but the woman had bathed his feet with her tears. Simon hadn't kissed his cheeks upon his arrival, whereas the woman had not ceased kissing his feet since he had been seated. The host had neglected to anoint Jesus' head with oil, yet the woman had poured rare perfume on his feet. In Jesus' day, the marginalization of women was commonplace, even expected. Yet here, Jesus' love and respect for her overflow like the rich perfume she had just poured out, the fragrance of liberation and love filling the space between he and the woman. I just love this image as, as I um, was preparing. I kept coming back to it, and I thought, let's share it with these folks. Let's think about the hospitality she is giving and how, how we might respond if someone cared for us in that same way. How difficult is that for us in our modern context to allow someone to be that close to us, to touch us and to, um, to provide that care that so many people lack? Again, in a story recorded in Luke's Gospel, Jesus calls upon the hospitality of Zacchaeus, the height-challenged tax collector. Now, I can't imagine inviting myself into someone's house. Can you? It's really tough, really, really tough. But Jesus, he just does it. He was clearly self-assured enough to make such a request. But I think perhaps something else was going on. He didn't fear what the onlookers might think about him spending time with the reviled outcast. Something else. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was ready to accept the salvation he was willing to extend. 
He wasn't, he wasn't willing to let the social mores stand in the way of his mission. What would it take for me and you to trust Jesus to open the doors for us? Maybe it's time we adopt that same boldness and follow the urging of the Spirit to lead folks toward salvation in Christ Jesus. So be listening. See where you're getting that little nudge. See if maybe somebody lets you come over for tea. The Samaritan woman at the well is another familiar story of the boundless grace of Christ. In that encounter with Jesus, a woman is set free of shame and embarrassment. But something else equally liberating is happening for Jesus in this exchange. We know of the deep animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews at the time of Christ. By engaging the woman at the well, Jesus shattered religious stereotypes that had marginalized a whole people group for centuries. It's a deep sadness and shame that throughout history and continuing even today, Christ's church will often apply stereotypes like non-Christian, suggesting it is unchristian. Those same stereotypes that Jesus boldly and courageously quashed one hot day at the well in Samaria. Let's pray for a day when we do the same, when our churches reclaim that courageous hospitality, meeting people at wherever the well now might be in your life accepting water from them and seeing them as fully human despite our cultural differences because they are there, they are real, but they shouldn't be keeping us apart. People who have accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ have obtained unparalleled privileges. But those privileges, if you have accepted Christ, instead of putting you above others, has placed you under Christ and his servant, as his servant, bringing light and life to a dark world. Salvation has set you apart from the fear of desolation, but not from the duty to step into the messes that keep people beloved by God, our creator, in shackles and chains. This hurting world yearns to experience the deeply courageous, stereotype-smashing, peace-bearing hospitality of Jesus. Christ's church must become the place where people lost in the shadows become visible, where hungry bellies are filled literally and figuratively, and where even the most reviled individuals can find forgiveness and healing and comfort and peace and shelter. I want to close with one final example of Jesus's selfless hospitality. And just a reminder that I believe Jesus really did mean it for us to get out there and do it. Jesus took the command to love God and love his, to love his neighbor to the furthest degree on the cross. 
By opening his arms wide on the cross, he drew humanity and all of creation to himself with love and reconciliation. He took all that separates us from God and from one another into the tomb so that in his glorious resurrection, he would conquer sin and death. We have every reason to get excited about offering hospitality, to really engage our communities through conversations, sharing meals, worshiping, and serving. Whatever will place us where God can speak through us. We have the good news of salvation, reconciliation, and peace in Christ Jesus. What better reason could we ask to throw open the doors and to step out in boldness and humility, offering words of light and life to all whom we meet with generous hospitality?